Welcome to episode 65 of Breakout Culture. I'm Ed Vasey, the culture editor of Country and Townhouse. And I'm Charlotte Metcalf. I'm the associate editor at Country and Townhouse. Now, on the 10th of February, depressing and worrying figures were published by the Community Security Trust, a charity that collects data on anti-Jewish abuse, showing that there were 2,255 incidents in 2021, up by 34% since 2020. These included 176 violent incidents involving grievous bodily harm or a threat to life. These figures are released at the time that the comedian David Bedil's book, Jews Don't Count, is being given immense coverage in the media. So it's immensely cheering to learn that Jewish Book Week, which begins on Saturday the 26th of February, is now celebrating its platinum year, representing a robust and irrepressible cultural presence. To celebrate its 70th birthday, there are going to be over 70 events online and in person with speakers and performers, including Mike Lee, Elif Shafak, Maureen Lippmann, Philippe Sands, Michael Ignatieff, Howard Jacobson and Simon Sharma. So what I had never realised is that Jewish Book Week is actually London's longest running literary festival. I don't know if it's uh, one of the UK's oldest, but it's certainly one of the oldest in the world because it is as old as the Queen. Founded in 1952 uh, by Dr. George Weber, a lawyer, a bibliophile and a Hebraist. And it was obviously when it started quite modest, four day event, very different from the huge event it is today, which takes place at the King's Place in North London and covers pretty much everything, history, Judaism, religion, philosophy, theater, art, architecture, fiction, science and live performance. So it's gonna be a huge amount of fun and obviously one of the mo- reasons it's so successful is that my mum is on the selection panel. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well, we are really looking forward to it. And here to tell us more about it is the writer, Claudia Rubenstein, who's the festival's director, and the fabulous Oscar, Tony and Olivier winner, Don Black. He's the man who's written lyrics for everyone from Andrew Lloyd Webber and Quincy Jones to Lulu, Michael Jackson and Meatloaf, so quite a spread there, as well as being famous, of course, for writing the James Bond theme tunes, Diamonds Are Forever and The Man With The Golden Gun with John Barry. Don Black is also the lyricist behind Born Free to Sir With Love and has worked on music for films like Dances With Wolves, Italian Job, Out of Africa and True Grit on the 6th of March as a glorious and uplifting finale to the Book Week's platinum anniversary. There's going to be an evening of music and song and Don's going to be in conversation with former BBC and ITV chief Michael Grade about his life and his book, The Sanest Guy in the Room. And his frequent collaborator, Marty Webb, is going to perform several of his iconic songs. So that is one event of many not to be missed. Anyway, both Claudia and Don are with us this morning. Good morning. Good morning. What a what a, a august group of people here. <laughs> runneth over, Don. I can't believe <laughs> both of you on. Each of you could do this podcast on their own in their own right. But let's start with Claudia. Claudia, tell us how you got involved in Jewish Book Week. Well, I've always loved Jewish Book Week. I first started going when I was 15 and it was a group of very enthusiastic people in a small room in Woburn House. And I just thought, 
God, this is marvellous talking about. I think the subject was Isaiah Berlin. Um, I went with my mother and it just seems so exciting and wonderful that a group of people could come together to talk about books and books of Jewish interest. Um, and I dipped in and out um, in my 20s and 30s. Um, I became a writer. I'm a medieval historian. I wrote three books. I was finishing up my last book and it seemed the hardest thing I'd ever done. And um, I'd, I'd actually done a little bit of cultural programming. I'd run the Ham and High Literary Festival. I'd programmed at the London Jewish Cultural Center. And then this uh, job uh, running Jewish Book Week, I think the best organization in the world came up and I thought I would love to do that. And it's uh, it really is um, the best job in the world. It's absolutely wonderful. I get to meet people like Don. I get to welcome authors from all over the world to the festival. Um, I think you and Charlotte summed it up absolutely beautifully at the beginning. And in fact, I'd like to take your script for that and use it. It's a great summary <laughs> of Jewish Book Week, but it really is a celebration of writing and subjects and authors and thinkers. And perhaps one of the only good things to come out of the pandemic is that we managed to go online. So we can now say that we are truly international and welcome speakers from all over the world who we might not have been able to physically get to King's Place. That is kind of amazing that you're so old, not you personally. But, um, <laughs> are, are you one of the oldest in the world? I mean, it, it was it was presumably quite groundbreaking when it started. And presumably there's a lot of heritage to do with Jewish Book Week. Yes, well, it certainly hadn't been start, done in the UK before. As far as I can find out, there had been various book groups that met in London, Manchester, Leeds, Glasgow before the war. Um, it was carried on um, in some form in 1948 and 1949, but it was only in 1940, uh, 1952 that, that George Weber said, you know, we've really got to get organised about this. There is something great about the Jewish community and our organisational skills, I think, and, uh, and certainly, particularly with all the refugees, the Jewish refugees who came into London in the 20s, 30s and 40s, um, this is something that Jewish Book Week really wanted to do to provide a cultural, a cultural platform and a forum for discussion. It was much smaller, as you said, when we started. It was really more about discussion where authors and, uh, and uh, readers could come together. If you've come to King's Place, you see that it's, our, our audience are brilliant at asking questions. They say that we have the best questions, and the most interesting questions of all literary festivals. But, uh, but I think we can really continue that dialogue, even though we are now very much bigger. I think what's so brilliant about this and, and what is so attractive to me about it is it obviously it's, it's covering loads of really important issues, but it's such fun as well. You know, you've got people like Jay Rayner coming in conversation with Claudia Rodan. You've got Mike Lee. You, you know, tell us some of the sort of, I mean, other than Don, who we're about to get to, of course, but, you know, tell us some of the, the really fun highlights. Well, we've got we uh, besides Don, we've got we've got some other se uh, performance celebrations. We've got a brilliant event which is going to look at, uh, at uh, Tom Lehrer, Bob Dylan and, um, and uh, Leonard Cohen um, and that's chaired by Norman Lebrecht and we've got some great authors coming along to talk about that, people who are really passionate about their subjects and we'll hear some songs as well. We've also got a celebration of um, Stephen Sondheim's work, we've got Stephen Isler speaking with Janet Sussman about Bach. We've got um, a play, the brilliant Tristram Powell has uh, devised a play reading based on um, Ronnie Harwood's uh, uh, play about Furchtwängler, the controversial Nazi, con well, perhaps Nazi conductor in Taking Sides. Um, we've got our international authors, Timothy Snyder, Ruth Feiss, um, coming along to talk to us. And, uh, and we've got um, uh, football with Simon Cooper and David Treesman. So you had Simon Cooper? Yes, yes, Simon oh, Cooper's coming to talk. Yes, I, his is the first column I turn to on a Saturday morning. Ah, okay. You must come oh. to his event, it's on Barker. It should be brilliant. 
Oh my God. <laughs> and get his autograph and a selfie. I was very interested in what you said about the refugee community in the 20s and 30s. I mean, do you think Jewish Book Week in the sort of 50s and 60s provided a sort of almost kind of career progression route, just a very supportive community that helped people kind of find their feet and that kind of thing? Yes, it could have, it would certainly have been a forum for discussion, a step up for authors to be learned, to be known to a wider community, certainly. Can you tell us a bit more about King's Place itself? Because that's got its own rather interesting history, hasn't it? Yes. It's, a, it's primarily a music venue. We work with the King's Place Music Foundation and actually it's not only our platinum anniversary, it's our 10th uh, year at King's Place, which is fantastic. But it means that we can present our authors like Don in a, in a state-of-the-art venue. Um, we've got three halls uh, that run simultaneously. So if you come along, even in these COVID times, it's all very buzzy. There are lots of people in the building at any one time. Everyone's having a chat. Everyone's arguing about what they've seen, discussing what they've seen, what they liked, what they didn't. And uh, and so it's not only in the events that you get that that interesting uh, interesting discussion. It definitely continues over to the bagel bar and over coffees. You can you can everyone's having a chat. Oh, so let's turn to you now, Don, and hear about your book and what you're going to be doing on the 6th. Well, I'm going to have a chat with Michael Grade. I don't know what he's going to ask me because <laughs> he's, he's interviewed me so many times, he probably knows my national insurance number. <laughs> so I don't, know what, I don't know what kind of probing question he's going to come. It'd be fun. So that apart, I'll be talking about what I've been talking about for 50 years, writing songs, I guess. But tell us about your book. I wrote it, don't want to bring this down, but my, I lost my wife four years ago. And um, after 60 gloriously happy years, and friends of mine said, you've got to work, work, work. But that's the way to get through grief. And um, I started this book, and surely my wife liked the first couple of pages. She saw them, and she burst out laughing, because the first couple of pages uh, slag off autobiographers, saying I don't believe in them. And then... I just thought, well, maybe it'll be good. And it turned out to be the best thing I've ever done in my life for me mentally, because it took me, I don't know, 18 months to write it. And it was very successful, the book. It made the Sunday Times bestsellers list. And I think I know the reason. It wasn't about me writing about all my life as a songwriter. It was about grief. And men don't write about grief. So it's not next to talking about Andrew Lloyd Webber and Sunset Boulevard and all that stuff I've done, I kept going back to Shirley in the book. That's my theory about why it's done so well. Um, what I tried to do with my book was I approached it as a lyricist. A lyricist's job is all about economy and uh, eliminating the unnecessary. I say in my book, I'll write about what it's like to work with Andrew Lloyd Webber, but I won't be telling you which way the wind was blowing when we sat down in his uh, house. That's how I approached it. So there won't be, uh, there's no discussion of what he was wearing or, or which way the wind blows. It, it's, it's to the point. Don, I loved your book so much. I thought, oh, I thought the really special thing about it, I don't know how you did it, you can't teach this, but you, you spoke to the reader like you were really speaking to the reader. The advice I was given by a man called Donald Zeck, who used to be very well known, he was the entertainment's uh, editor at the Daily Mirror, who died recently at 102. And I, I, he lived near me and I told him about this book and he said to me, I've only got one thing to say to you, be yourself. 
Just tell us why you called it the sanest guy in the room, co- compared with whom? <laughs> well, there is, there, there is a man in America, you may know him, called Mark Stein. And he's very well known. He's on GB News and stuff. He's a great um, authority on songwriting and theatre. He's also a political pundit. But in an article once, he said, I guarantee whatever Don Black is working on, he will be the sanest guy in the room. People have asked me about this before, and I suppose I am when it comes to collaboration. Um, I say this without any ego involved. It's, you know, when you're working on a musical, it's the most collaborative thing and the most volatile. You know, people really get heart attacks and lose their temper. It's a very, very stressful situation. And um, I've always tried to live my life by uh, two words, really, um, dedication and detachment. Dedication to everything I do in the way of working, but when I came home, I tried to detach myself from it. And it's just my nature and having a wonderful home life. And I think that did keep me sane, because after arguing with everybody about should that song be in it, is she any good, that singer? All (laughs) all All those things. You come home and have a cup of tea in the kitchen. You think, oh, my God. Or I put on a, watch a game of snooker on television. Don, I'm, I'm really finding all this stuff fascinating. In fact, you've given me an idea to rechristen our podcast, The Sanest Guy in the Room, because <laughs> Charlotte is sort of, anyway. Um, but, uh, I mean, this love affair with Shirley, how did you meet? We, we met, uh, I, I'm from Hackney, and she was from Clapton, come from very humble uh, beginnings. I met her at a party. Uh, at, at a, a club, rather. We met that night, and she said, I was going to stay in and wash my hair that night. <laughs> but I decided to go to this club. And throughout our 60 years, whenever we had, you know, a little few words, she used to say, I should have stayed in and washed my hair. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. But what, uh, I mean, you, di- you don't uh, necessarily, as a lyricist, lead a rock and roll lifestyle but to go from presumably quite a modest uh beginnings in hackney to you know sitting down doing james bond working with michael jackson it's kind of amazing that you kept your feet on the ground your kind of world isn't necessarily the world where the marriages tend to last no i know in fact um since i lost shirley of course i've met a lot of people who've lost people but i haven't met anyone who really had a 60-year or 50-year marriage. Have you met Barbara Taylor Bradford ever, Don? No, I know who she is. Yeah. Should I meet her? Are you trying to set me up? Or she's been on the podcast and she's lost somebody after the same amount of time. And she did oh, okay. exactly like you. Um, you're, you have actually really similar stories. It's very interesting. We are recording this on Valentine's Day. Who knew? We are, we are. The podcast would go in this uh, <laughs> direction. But I mean, I want to, I mean, Claudia mentioned earlier that Jewish people are good at organising things. And I was going to resist any kind of Jewish stereotypes. But Don, you know, your son lives next door to you. I mean, the family stuff is very, very serious in the Jewish community. You know, Friday night dinner, there's a whole comedy yeah. series. No, not, as much as, not as much as mine. <laughs> because, uh, uh, you know, my family, especially since I lost Shirley, but even before Shirley, they, well, they call me morning, noon and night, my two sons. My sister, Adele, all the time, 
just checking up on you, Lord. Just, and it's an you know, I feel so sorry. I can't imagine what it's like to lose someone and not have a family. That must be the ultimate pain. You know, that's why I really didn't want to write a book uh, for the, you know, the one simple reason. I, there, I can't think of one unhappy day in my whole life. We had, we had a hat. I know. And I thought this is going to make a lousy book because a publisher will say, didn't you have an affair with someone? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and, and I say in my book, I said, you know, I can easily say that I did have an affair with Lauren Bacall <laughs> and Shirley Bassey after Diamonds. There's a long, I could have done all that. And of course, publishers would, would, that's why I didn't think there'd be such a demand for this book or who cares. But most books you read, well, I think probably every book you read, someone's had been disturbed, abused, something's happened in their childhood that has been dramatic. Can I just establish you didn't have an affair with Shirley Bassey? I just want to be clear. I, I really can't say that at this particular moment. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> no. No, I didn't. But, now, we can't not, I'm afraid, do some of the celebrity stuff. And Meatloaf has very sadly passed. You worked with Meatloaf, who is, has written some of the greatest songs ever. Well, he didn't, actually. It was uh -huh. Jim Steinman. Jim Steinman wrote them. Of course. But out of all the people I've worked with, I mean, I say, he was the strangest. He would order food. In a, he stayed at the Dorchester Hotel. And when you order food with Jim Steinman for lunch, he orders everything. Oh, I read that, yes. He orders every single thing. You have chicken <laughs> comes up. Fish comes up, pasta comes up. His hotel bill was £350,000. No. At the Dorchester. For, how, for he, how long? Yeah. When he came over here to write the musical Whistle Down the Wind with Andy. Oh, yeah. And, um, but he's wonderful. He had a different mind like anyone else. He was, he, but he's a genius record producer. And a one-off, I think. And what was Michael Jackson like to work with? Uh, well, we, I got very friendly with Michael Jackson, but you must remember he was 14 at the time. So it was those innocent days. And he used to come to my house in Los Angeles and play pool with my sons. And we just had a great, great time. He, he used to swim in the pool and we couldn't have been closer. What happened one day, his father called me up and said, if you want to get hold of Michael in future, you've got to go through me. Oh. And it, the, the atmosphere changed a bit. Mm. But I, I still heard from him when he came from London to London and uh, we kept in touch. I want to ask you a bit about writing lyrics, but before I do that, I want to ask Claudia a bit. Again, another Jewish stereotype, because you talked about Jim Steinman ordering everything on the menu. <laughs> the Jewish community and food is a big thing. I mean, food is going to feature quite a lot in Jewish Book Week, isn't it? Mm, food always features in Jewish Book Week. <laughs> <laughs> but we've got, we've got a lovely event um, this, this year. Claudia Roden's coming to talk about her new book, Med. Claudia's wonderful. She, she often comes. She said this was going to be her last book, so it was incredibly special, although I've heard since that she might be writing another one. But it's a, what makes it so special? It's a, Claudia's from, uh, from Egypt, and she writes about her childhood. She writes about the different uh, cultural influences on the cooking, on the cuisine. She writes beautifully about the Jewish refugee um, community from the Middle East in Paris and then later in London, how they were all passing through and everyone gave each other their recipes because they thought this is going to be the last time I see this person and I have to give them something to special to pass on. And to many Jews, food is love. 
And she wrote this one beautiful thing. Um, a, a refugee passing through her house told her, you have to knead your bread until it feels like a, a, a soft earlobe. And then you know that it's <laughs> done. That was, that was gorgeous. I'm, but, I'm fe yeah. feeling my earlobe now. But um, yes. <laughs> what, uh, I mean, because it is, it's interesting because I obviously, my mother's Jewish and my, my Jewish grandfather used to drive my Christian dad absolutely mad because you couldn't go to a restaurant an order without him insisting on tasting everybody else's food. <laughs> I mean, what, what, why does food feature so prominently in Jewish culture, do you think? I think it's a very easy way of showing love. It's a very easy yes. way of, of hoping that your children are safe, that uh, if there have been bad times in the community, it's it's something that you can do. You can give your kid a sandwich and know that they look better, they look fed and, and happy, maybe. But maybe it's similar to, uh, to, to, to Italian communities and Greek communities and Arab communities that we all want to, we want to show our hospitality by feeding you. It's interesting. I, I tell you another thing, apart from food, that I've noticed this last few years, that Jewish people are very good at, about talking about illnesses. <laughs> yes, Ill Ill illnesses is unbelievable. Since I, I've been out with a few <laughs> women on dates, but I wouldn't call them dates, but we're women. And it doesn't take long before you start talking about blood thinners <laughs> and, and, hip, and hip replacements, especially when you get to a certain age, you know, there's a, a, a kind of a sob in their throat. How are you doing? Are you all right? <laughs> it's it, you know, it's very amazing. You, you're relating to this, aren't you? Probably. You're absolutely right, Don. And when someone gets out their little black book and it's full of doctors rather than <laughs> oh yes, <laughs> men or women, then yes, no, you no. know that you've arrived. They're sharing their specialist with you. Yeah, That's I don't know. So I'm not sure. I'm, I can't be only Jewish, but Jewish people they seem to dwell on it. You know. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, you could be right. So, Don, you said that writing a book was incredibly difficult but you know technically you are a writer and to the layman uh, of which I'm one you know writing a song looks easy it's like 300 words that's easy and you repeat the chorus mm -hmm. uh, whereas writing a book of 100,000 words is, is a real pain yeah. but obviously writing a song is not easy because people like you are part of a select group of go-to people who always deliver the goods. What is the secret? The obvious question, which you've probably been asked approximately 1,200 times. What is the secret of a good song? I started off writing songs because I worked in Timpan Alley, which is Denmark Street, and I was surrounded by songwriters. You won't know any of their names, but you'll know all their songs. And, um, and one day, a very dear friend of mine, Matt Monroe, a great singer, Oh, cool. said, yeah. said, said to me, Don, you're always on about songs. Why don't you have a go? So I did have a go. Nothing happened until I wrote one that a tune that he loved and I put words to it. It's called Walk Away. And uh, it became a big hit. It was my, my first hit. I'm not answering the question of how do you do it? Because I think some things are indefinable. Mm. Uh, and that is one of them. How do you write a book? How do you tell a joke? How do you write a song? I usually, I, I like to write songs that move people. So I know if I'm touched by an idea. And also, having, knowing so many songs, because I have, I've spent years doing, I always try to veer away from the obvious yeah. in songs. You're trying to find a new way of saying something about the human condition. I'll give you a bad example, but anyone can write the song saying, I hate to leave you. 
of, uh, you know, no, anyone can write that. But it takes Cole Porter to say every time we say goodbye, I die a little. Mm. And then you say, oh, my God, no one said that before. Not like that, you know. And that's what I always, I try, a song detective in a way I am. Mm. Do, you, do, you think and, there's uh, any, do you think there's any intellectual snobbery about songs? I mean, you're not put on the same pedestal as a great poet. But when you quote that Cole Porter, that's poetry. No, I'd rather have my bank balance <laughs> but that, uh, than, a, than a poet's. Um, you want to say it all. It's all about uh, the, uh, the rigid framework that makes it work. But really, it's uh, whenever I think of an idea that I've never heard in a song, for argument's sake, I'll give you a, a clue here. In my new show, it's a terrible way to plug it, isn't it? Plug away. <laughs> Uh, next month, I have a show called Bonnie and Clyde, and you, everyone knows the story of Bonnie and Clyde. But there is a song in Bonnie and Clyde that touches so many people at the end, when someone says to Bonnie at the end, towards the end, when they get hold of Clyde, when they find Clyde, they're going to kill him, and they'll kill you as well. And she says, they better. And then she sings a song called Dying Ain't So Bad. And the second line is, dying ain't so bad, not if you both go together. Only when one's left alone does it get sad. And I, and I thought, well, I was pleased at that because no, no one's written a song called about people, you know, if they go together. That, but that's what people think, because her wife always said, well, my wife, and I'm sure your husband or wife will say to you, I hope I go first. No, no, my, my wife is not saying that, I can assure no, you. No, well, she'll say, she'll say, she'll say, she'll say, she'll say the opposite. But it, it is an emotion, it's an emotion that hasn't had the spotlight on it. Apart from you, who is your favourite lyricist? There's a bunch of them, obviously, and the usual culprits, you know, Stephen Sondheim, Julie Stein, Frank Lesser, Richard Rogers, and all that. But if I had to choose one, I'd probably choose Irving Berlin, because he came from Russia, he came from nothing. And, and his lyrics were so slick and sophisticated. So he could write simple songs like I'll Be Loving You Always or Blue Skies or How Deep Is The Ocean. But then he'd write Putting On The Ritz mm. with fantastic, clever rhymes. And um, he was just, just wonderful. You've got Marty Webb, who's going to be singing some of your songs um, at Jewish Book Week on, on the 6th. Who's, who's the most amazing performer that you've worked with who's really you think has really carried your songs magnificently someone you may have heard of barbara streisand i was gonna say i was hoping you were going to talk about <laughs> barbara streisand yeah well the reason first of all her voice i think is the voice of the century of yeah the gener the generation of it. Uh, but she's such an ordinary person when you what? see her <laughs> yeah when you well, when you see her at home i went to her house in bel-air because she sang a couple of songs from Sunset Boulevard, the show I did with Andrew. And she wanted to change a few lyrics, so I went over to the house to figure it out. And it was like being with my sister. <laughs> you know, do, you want, do you want a cup of tea? Do you want this? I've just been to the dentist. Oh, you're dying. Pain, <laughs> the pain. The pain of it. It was just like, I thought, is, it, is this Barbara Streisand? It can't be, you know. And uh, no, she's just so normal. But when she sings, of course, yeah. you, run out, you run out of goosebumps. Well, I think it's going to be a huge amount of fun. And um, just, Claudia, tell our listeners how to get tickets. And if there are any left, indeed. There won't be after this podcast, <laughs> I can tell you. <laughs>
<laughs> it's uh, jewishbookweek.com. All the details are on our, on our website. Don is, as you said, the final grand finale, Don and Michael and Marty um, on, the 6th of, uh, on the 6th of March at King's Place. But do have a look. We've got 80 events. Lots of them are free. Quite a few of them are online as well. We've got 15 events online if you can't make it down to the venue. Um, but it would be brilliant to see you there. So nice. We were entirely online for 2021. So it's actually fantastic to be back in the venue. Oh, well, thank you both so much for coming on and telling us all about it. Can't wait. Uh, enjoy, enjoyed meeting you all. Thank you. Well, I'm really looking forward to booking into Jewish Book Week. And meanwhile, sadly, that's all we've got time for this week. But don't forget that the latest edition of Country and Townhouse is out now at selected newsstands and Waitrose, as well as online, of course, along with the 2022 edition of Great British Brands. You can be found at countryandtownhouse.co.uk, where you'll also find our sister podcast, House Guest, with all the latest news on interiors from Carol Annette. And just add forward slash newsletter to subscribe both to the weekly magazine newsletter and to the Great British Brands monthly one. We love your feedback, so keep it coming to charlotte at countryandtownhouse.co.uk. And tune in next week when we're going to be talking about theatre, what it's been through in its long but exciting road to recovery with Nick Allen. Now, Nick has been at the cutting edge of West End theatre production because he's run Cameron McIntosh's empire for almost 20 years. So don't fail to tune in it's going to be a fascinating conversation. He's a wonderful man and a brilliant raconteur. See you next week. Bye. Bye.